0: Welcome in and thanks for listening. It's episode 18, Unleashed Barrier Sports Talk with me, John Lund, for Friday, October 7th, 2022. Farhan Speaks, the Giants president of baseball operations, answers the most important offseason question. MLB playoffs, my logic on who you should root for if you're a Giants fan. Slow your roll on the 49ers defense from a historical perspective, and it's actually my fault. And the Warriors, the brass talks after Draymond's punch. Let's go. What's happening? Happy Friday. Hope you are doing great. It's episode 18. That's where we already are for Friday, October 7th, 2022. Tons to get to this weekend. Please listen while well, you're doing that. Thank you. Subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, where you get your favorite podcast. Please spread the word as well. Interact with the show anytime you want. At John Lund Radio on Twitter. Whether you like it, whether you hate it, whether you have a question. a boys. Whatever it is you got. At John Lund Radio. Listen to me on my day job. KNBR 680 in the Bay Area, knbr.com. You can stream us all that stuff with the voice of the 49ers, Greg pop We're on from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific. We'll get some YouTube shows, by the way. We're going to get up on YouTube, but we're going to start doing some live streams and things. We're waiting for that to get going, so stay tuned for details on that. As I said, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Unleashed. Let's get to it. We start every podcast with the leadoff spot. Let's talk some Giants and Farhan Talks.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen.
2: (laughs) Um, Well, it's really hard to say because honestly, I've talked about how going into uh, last season, you know, we expected to be competitive. We certainly didn't expect to win 107 games. Um, at the start of this season, we very much expected to be a playoff team. We thought we, uh, you know, 90 wins or something in that range was well within our sight, And mm-hmm. uh, we came a little bit short. So, in a weird way, you know, we went into this year with higher expectations than we did last year. So, I can't really answer which one is the greater outlier. Certainly, um, you know, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Maybe we yeah. weren't quite a 107 win team last year. And I think we were better than our record this year. But, uh, you you are what your record says you are, and and we're going to be sitting at home starting tomorrow, so that's where the motivation comes to be better next year. All
0: right, that is Farhan Zaidi. He is the president of baseball operations for the Giants. You know that uh, he is adept, and uh, I did the show with Tom for a number of years, and we had Farhan on every other week, and I like him. Uh, he's he's smart, but it, it, it's really weird because he's he's great at giving you some things, and then not you know an executive has answered answered enough questions. In any walk of life, whether he's baseball executive, or th- there's a reason why a guy is in front of people, I guess my point is. He's a presidential type, and so they're adept at answering questions and saying something, and then you write everything down and you check your notes, because I've been doing this media thing for a long time, and you're like, he, he said nothing. He actually said nothing, and he kind of said something there and he kind of said nothing. Uh, let me just break it down into pieces. Pretty predictable that he would say, well, because the question was, are you the 107-win team of year, or are you the 81 team of this year? And predictably, he said, well, we're somewhere in the middle. Well, the exact middle of 107 and 81, using my calculator because I'm terrible at math, is 94. 94 would get you in the playoffs. They're not a 94-win team. Uh, They have a first baseman that I wouldn't bring back because of injuries in Brandon Belt. Tyro Estrada, their second baseman, uh, has done it for one season. Brandon Crawford two years ago was great. Last year was just okay, and he's getting up there in age. He's a Giants legend. It doesn't mean that he can't have a drop-off, and he has. Uh, Evan Longoria's got a $13 million option that I wouldn't pick up, but it's on him, so he'll probably come back. He's injured too much for me. Joey Bart is not proven as a regular everyday catcher. The bullpen is a flat-out mess, and by a metric standpoint, number standpoint, this was the worst offensive and defensive outfield in all of baseball. The only thing they did well this year was starting pitching. Well, there's starting pitching. Okay, that's one. And then there's defense hitting... (laughs) relief pitching, they didn't do those things well. So if there's four metrics to winning in baseball, they did three of them poorly. That doesn't sound like a 94-win team to me. I could be wrong. Guys could come back. I'm still scratching my head. I think somebody sold their soul to the devil for them to win 107 games. So if we, we're we going to have a million, we're going to have so much time to do this, so I'm not going to delve deep into today what they need to do in the offseason. But just because we're talking about what they could be, you could get Aaron Judge, which Buster only said on ESPN that the Giants are lying in the weeds. They're not lying in the weeds. They're right in the middle of the road jumping up and down trying to stop the Yankees' bus of money, truck of money. They, there's no, it's not a secret that the Giants want Aaron Judge. But even if you get Aaron Judge in one of the shortstops and you get Rodon back, which you probably won't, and they get a couple of guys from the farm system like Kyle Harrison, their top pitcher, or Casey Schmidt, who I have two autographed cards from, so I'm actually hoping that uh, he does really, really well. That's another story for another day. They're still not a 94-win team. And what they have to do because they've had some disappointments in the farm system, we've heard all these names in the farm system, and they're still a couple of years away. But you can't you can't count on those guys next year. And so everyone looks at the Dodgers. Well, a lot of the Dodgers' talent is homegrown, and it kind of timed up, and then they spent a bunch of money, and this is why they are where they are. It's not the, that the Giants can't be in that point. But I'll go back to 107 wins. It all gave us this false sense of, wow, Farhan's already done it. And I don't know how they did it. I really don't. Um, It's hard to get lucky for 162 games, but apparently that's what the Giants did. They just weren't that good of a team. And 107 wins, which they got in 2021, is just a phenomenal number. And you shouldn't be lucky for 162 games, but I don't know. There's just no other way to put it. What they did last year, I think, is the team that they are because of all the issues that I just told you about. And it's not like those guys are all going to bounce back and be really, really good because Belt, Crawford, Longoria are on the wrong side of 30. I think Mike Yaskremski is what he is, and there's really no other than the starting pitching staff, which Logan Webb is what he is. You're going to lose Carlos Rodon, and then you have a bunch of four or five starters on your team. They just There is just a big talent deficit between what the Giants are and what the Dodgers are, and what the Padres are, and what the Phillies are, and what the Mets are, and what the Braves are. Talking about the top teams in the National League. They're probably somewhere in the middle to towards the bottom right now. So they need a big offseason. I'm not going to get into the big offseason. But my point in saying all of this is, is that Farhan, it, was, it what I wanted to hear from him. And that was him on our afternoon show, Tolbert and Copes here on KMBR in the Bay Area. And then he's going to speak, and we'll have it tomorrow on our show on Friday, speaking of Friday, October 7th, with Papa 9. We're on 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on KNBR. You can go to knbr.com and listen to it live. Farhan will be on 11 a.m. Pacific time doing an end-of-the-year press conference. But to me, that's the most important question that he can answer. Where do you think this team is? Because they finished at 500 and people were raving pom-poms. We're 500. We're not losers. That doesn't matter to me. Because an organization like the Dodgers, and you heard Jock Peterson say this, and he was reared in the Dodger system, someone asked him if finishing 500 was a big deal, and he said no. And he's right. What does it matter? You had a losing season, or you had a not losing season? Because 81 and 81 is not a winning season; it's not a losing season. Farhan, in this interview, called it kissing your sister. It's a tie. You you have the exact same record that you started with. You were zero and zero. You're 81 and 81. You didn't really prove anything. We don't know anything about your team. Now, I think they're closer to 81 and 81 than 107. 107 is a ridiculous number of wins. That means you're a title contender. That means you shouldn't drop 26 games in a year, but we look at this roster just from the eye test, right? Not analytics and not this and that, that. I'm just saying, look at the roster. It's not a very good roster. It's an old roster. Uh, It's an injured roster. It's not a productive roster. You look at the lineup every single day. There wasn't really a lot of regulars. The bullpen was a mess. We all know what what the heck happened. But I wanted to know what Farhan thought of the roster. And throughout the interview, he wasn't overly optimistic about it. So he can say one thing because he's a CEO type and he's really good at not giving you the answer and you thinking he said something when he really didn't. But throughout the interview, he wasn't overly optimistic about what they had done in that season. Dropping 26 games will do that. In the podcast yesterday, I told you, I... I think the season was a disaster when you go from 107 wins and an expectation level to 81 wins, and even that is misleading because you weren't in the playoff race for the last month. And that means you're a bad baseball team, and that's what they are. They're a bad baseball team, and they have a lot of work to do in the offseason. So Farhan answered the question, and he answered it correctly. The Giants need a lot of work to do in the offseason, and whether they finished 81-81 and and finished on a favorable note he wasn't fooled by that. Next. 3-2 to Cal. The pitch from Marcevedo.
1: A drive deep to right field. Down the line. The Mariners win this game 2-1. The dream lives. They're going to the playoffs. The drought is over. Cal Raleigh. Wow. Hey now. Hey now. Hey now. Are you kidding me, Cal Raleigh? He gets a slider and hits it off the window's Home run of the year. That's right. The party is going on. Congratulations to the Mariners.
0: That is Root Sports in Seattle. I don't know who the second voice was, but the first voice is Dave Sims, and I know Dave Sims. And what I, without the Giants being in the playoffs, we knew, we know that's who you would be rooting for if you were as a Giants fan. If you're listening to a Bay Area sports podcast, I'm assuming you are. We know who you're not rooting for. That would be the Dodgers. But who should you root for if you are a a Giants fan. At John Lund Radio, I would be curious to know who you are rooting for. Let me know. But I'm going to try to use some logic here. The reason why I played the Mariners cut there is uh, they'll play the uh, Blue Jays in the first round in a 4-5 matchup. The Mariners are at 89-72, and 72, and the winner faces the Houston Astros, who won 105 games this year. The Mariners hadn't made the playoffs since 2001. To put in perspective how long ago that was, the Mariners won 116 games that year. And 27-year-old Ichiro was in his first year in the major leagues. They had lost Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, and Randy Johnson in consecutive off-seasons, and they went out, spent a bunch of money on guys like John Olerud and Mark McLemore and some of these old names, Aaron Seeley, and they went and won, won 116 games. They didn't even get to the World Series, and they haven't been to the playoffs since. So I have a couple of rules when I'm looking at major league teams if I don't have a vested interest in it, because I love the playoffs, first of all. Let me, let me back up for a second. I love the baseball playoffs. Um, are they the best? We always debate this when we get to the playoffs. I love the NBA playoffs, but I love baseball because I love sitting outside. I've been to a number of baseball playoff games. I have been to, uh, I went to and covered the 12 and 14 World Series championships with the Giants. Uh, I was there on Waveland Avenue when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016 because my family is from Chicago. I've seen a lot of different, events. I've seen NBA championships and covered the Bulls in uh, 97 and 98, the final dance. Uh, Bulls, uh, I've seen the Warriors win championships and been in the arena, I've seen the Pistons win championships, been in the arena. There's nothing quite like a Major League Baseball championship. I don't know why. The World Series, the trophy being handed over, the champagne flying, I just I think it's the best. And maybe I do think it is is the best. Although NFL is great because it's one game, but I think it's baseball. Just because I think the pageantry and everything that is around it and guys seem to come from nowhere in baseball, it's just the best. So I have some logic when I think who to root for. First of all, I'm a West Coast guy, so I I think West Coast. And I always think smaller market because they don't have all the opportunities or all the money, and so I kind of like the old, you know, smaller market versus the big market, which puts the Yankees out, but certainly the Dodgers out. So let me just take it by series. In the American League, it's Cleveland, the three seed versus the six seed Tampa. I would prefer Tampa. I like the way they do things, and they're a smaller market team, so I'd, I'd like to see Tampa over Cleveland, and then the winner faces the Yankees. I'd like to like to see Tampa. Toronto versus Seattle, I just told you. Seattle's a smaller market team, and they're on the West Coast. I know it's the Seahawks, and you hate the Seahawks, but the Mariners haven't made the playoffs, like I said, since 2001, which was the longest drought in baseball, so I'd like to see Seattle over the Blue Jays. Uh, the winner faces the Astros. I realize that's Dusty Baker, and so you may disagree with me and say, well, at I want Dusty to win, so I get that. I still have a bad taste in my mouth from the Astros cheating, so I don't want the Astros to win, so I'm going Mariners and Rays. And this isn't who I think is going to win. I want it to be Seattle versus Tampa, and I want Seattle to win the American League. I'm saying that's who I want, not who I think. If you were going to ask me who I think, I think the Astros are going to win the American League, but I want the Mariners to win the American League. Now, as far as the National League is concerned, Cardinals take on the Phillies in the 3-6 matchup, and the winner faces the Braves. I do not like the Cardinals. Maybe it's a Giants thing from years ago. I just don't. Respect the organization, no doubt. They always seem to bring up guys I've never heard of. I realize that Albert Pujols is in his last hurrah at the age of 42 after surpassing 700 home runs. Do not care. I'd like to see the Phillies beat them. Uh The Braves, I, I like the way the Braves do things. Maybe this is where I go away from my big market thing once. I'm not a big Philly sports fan. I like them better than the Cardinals. I think the Braves are going to win, and I would like to see the Braves win that side of the bracket. Now, the, the matchup over on the other side of the National League is Mets, the four seed, 100 wins, versus Bob Melvin's Padres, 89 wins, and the winner faces the Dodgers. First and foremost, don't want the Dodgers. So it's Mets and Padres. Let's go back to my big market thing and West Coast thing. I'd rather have a West Coast team win. I'd rather have a smaller market win. Plus, who doesn't love San Diego? And then throw on top of it that Bob Melvin is the former A's manager, and Bob comes on with us all the time when he comes back to the Bay Area. He's a Cal guy. He's a Bay Area guy. So, Bob Melvin. So, now I've got Braves versus Padres. Again, I don't think this is the way it's going to be, but I'm going Bob Melvin. I'd like to have Bob Melvin. Are they going to beat the Mets, then beat the Dodgers, and then beat the Braves? Probably not. That would be a massive upset, but I would like to see The Padres, I realize they're in the Giants division, and you may have a problem with that. So I would love to see a San Diego-Seattle World Series. Uh, Major League Baseball would absolutely hate that. No one would tune in. And I'd like to see Bob Melvin win the World Series. Now, that's what I would like. At John Lund Radio, what what would you say? What do I think it's going to be? I think it's going to be Astros and Braves, and I think it's going to be Astros winning the World Series. Astros, Braves, Astros winning the World Series. Maybe it's just the... Not anybody but the Dodgers side of me saying that. But realistically, and I'm I'm doing this in all objectivity, I think, I'm not sure that the Dodgers have enough starting pitching to get it done, although their lineup is very scary, and their bullpen is better than it's been in a long time. So that's my logic. I think Astros-Braves, I'd like to see uh, Mariners and Padres. Who would you like to see? Those are the baseball playoffs. I'm going to watch, Giants or not, and I'm going to enjoy Every second of it. Next, and
1: that's what caused Stafford to get it out and be incomplete. Third down and nine, Bosa, the sack.
0: <laughs> there's Nick Bosa, and it, for what it's worth, ESPN, and we all, everybody loves lists, and doesn't matter how early, and you know they can, people have, can apologize, and da 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 da. We're four weeks into the season, which because now there's 17 games, and I'm no math whiz, as you all know. People like to do the quarter poll awards 25% through the season. Well, we're not quite 25% through the season, but people are jumping the gun, and Nick Mose is being called the Defensive Player of the Year. And the 49ers defense is only giving up 11.5 points per game, to put that in perspective. The all-time record for least points, well, I shouldn't say the all-time, over the last 50 years, the least points given up in a season was the 2000 Ravens who won the Super Bowl, and they gave up 10.3 points per game. The 49ers, through four games, are at 11.5 points per game. So, pretty darn good. Now, I can't can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, but one of these days, or one of those podcasts, I started to pontificate that the 49ers could be an all-time defense. And I thought to myself a little bit later, let's give a little respect to the 49ers defenses before them. And I I do pre- and post-game on the 49ers with Dennis Brown, who played for the Niners from 90 to 96, and they had some damn good defenses. I'll tell you about it in a second. And Ronnie Lott's rookie year, Dwight Hicks and the hot licks and and that defense. And in 2011, Jim Harbaugh's first team and number of teams with Bowman and Patrick Willis and Alden Smith and and Justin Smith and those guys. So uh, let's put a little respect on the 49ers because over the years, it's overshadowed by Steve Young and Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and Ricky Waters and go on down the line. All the great uh, guys that have, that have offensively played and all the big numbers that all those guys have put up. And we've forgotten about the defenses. So I wanted to make sure that before I started to get on this whole tangent about this could be one of the great defenses of all time. And knowing that we're only four games into the season and Tom Brady is still to come and Matthew Stafford is still to come and Patrick Mahomes is still to come after these two road games against Carolina and Atlanta. And that could change things because Tampa thought they were an all time great defense. And then the chiefs, Last week threw 41 on them, so let's slow down for just a quick second and tell you that the 49ers, from an all-time perspective, and I looked this up today when I started thinking to myself, I'm getting ahead of myself, that in 84, while the offense, they were 15-1 that year, the 49ers, and while the offense averaged over 30 points a game and was, and was number one in scoring, the only time in the history of the 49ers that they were number one in points per game defensively, lowest amount of points given up, in 1984 they gave up 14.2 points per game. In 2011, Jim Harbaugh's first year, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, and the crew, they gave up 14.3 points per game. And then Dennis Brown pointed this out to me. He said, you know what? Look up our numbers because we were pretty darn good. And 92, they gave up 14.8. 90 and 91, they gave up 14.9. Dennis was on both of those teams. And remember the 94 team, which had all that talent. Deion Sanders came over for a year. Eric Davis. You know, they just had a, a multitude of players. Eddie DiBartolo spared no expense. They were incredible. Um, we had Dave Wilcox in studio for 49ers pregame show at the stadium, at Levi's Stadium uh, over the weekend, and I looked his 71 team up because he was talking all about all the stars that they had on that team. And they gave up 15 points a game in 1971. And Ronnie Lott's rookie year, when they won the Super Bowl, their first against the Bengals in Detroit, they gave up about 15.6 points per game. So I want to make sure that I give proper attribution to those teams that were so good because I I was looking some of these teams up. You know, the 84 team, which I told you was the best defensive team and the only team to have the lowest points in the league, and we're looking at guys like Jim Stuckey and Dwayne Board and Danny Buns and Jack Reynolds and Kena Turner, and then you look at the secondary, and it was – Still Dwight Hicks in the hot licks. A few years later, Ronnie Lott, Eric Wright, Carlton Williamson, Dwight Hicks. So that was that type of team. You know, you look at the 92 team that among that group that Dennis Brown was on, Pierce Holt, Michael Carter, Tim Harris, Bill Romanowski, Eric Davis, Don Griffin, those kind of guys. So that was a low number. And then the 2011 team, which I talked about, which you could probably name every starter, but Ray McDonald, Justin Smith, Ahmad Brooks, Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis, Carlos Rogers, Terrell Brown, Dante Whitner, our good friend Deshaun Goldson. So I just wanted to take a second, and not really. There's no real point to this whole thing, but the 49ers have had some great defenses. I guess is my overall point. And before we start saying, well, are they going to be an all-timer on the level of the 2000 Ravens that gave up 10.3, or the you know the Giants defenses with Lawrence Taylor, or the 85 Bears, or some of the Steelers teams in the 70s? We can go on down the line with some of these great defenses, and through four games analytically, the 49ers are there. Yards per carry, which is a big a big statistic. A pressure rate on the quarterback, which is a big statistic. They're number one in all those things across the board. They are a really good defense and take into account that the middle of their defensive line, and they have a ton of depth there, but guys like Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw aren't even playing right now. They've had a major inj- injury to Aziz Alshire. But on the positive side, Jason Verrett is back practicing and Jimmy Ward, who I think is their best member of their secondary, can be versatile, he can play safety, he can drop down into the nickel nickel spot. Uh, Jimmy Ward is their best defensive player. Just ask him, he'll tell you. He was great when we came into camp, and then he got hurt shortly thereafter. Those guys aren't even playing right now. So they can add a lot to their secondary, they can add a lot of versatility to their secondary, and guys are just starting to, I think, hit their stride opposite Nick Bosa. Samson Ebukon is having a great year. Uh, Drake Jackson is a rookie second-round pick out of USC that I think is going to get better. So this defense I don't think has has hit its peak, but having said that, they haven't played the best teams they're going to play as well. Now maybe they can fatten up their numbers a little bit more against Baker Mayfield and Carolina this weekend. Hopefully they can do the same against Marcus Mariota and Atlanta, and then they come home to a gauntlet of really tough teams and really good quarterbacks led by Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Tom Brady's going to be coming in. Matt Stafford's going to be back. So there's going to be a lot of proof left for this defense, but they're up to the task. They're really good. I just don't want to get too far ahead of myself, and I want to make sure that I acknowledge that the 49ers have had some damn good defensive teams, and this is just going to be one of them. It could be the best, but we can't say that just yet. Next. It, and it didn't practice? No. <laughs> I assume that was... At least part of the
2: discipline area. Yeah,
1: I mean space is good. And Steve's gonna speak to you as well. And but I'm not gonna get too much into like more than he was here. He apologized and he didn't he didn't practice. He'd leave right after he went home. Um anytime there's some something that happens, um, we try to uh, handle things internally. Um it's very difficult to to uh keep everything in-house, obviously. Um, but um Bob handled uh, your questions, and so I'm not going to um, answer anything um, anything more because Bob already um, answered what needed to be answered. The only thing I will say is that uh, Jordan has been fantastic throughout camp. There was a report that I was made aware of last night that someone someone put out there that uh, that Jordan had an attitude in camp. Nothing could be further from the truth. He's been fantastic. So... Disappointing to see misinformation out there, um, but I wanted to make sure I made uh, set the record straight on that. Everything else, we will handle internally, and um, we'll go from there.
0: All right, first, you heard from Bob Myers, who I told you a little bit earlier about Farhan Zaidi and how good he is at being a face of the franchise and saying something and saying nothing. Bob Myers, and that's an admirable trait. I'm I'm giving them credit for that. It's not a negative thing I'm saying. I want to make sure that comes across that way. Bob Myers, who I had on for years in an earlier rendition of the Pop and Lunch show on KNBR, would come on with us weekly, and he was a master at that as well, and you heard him there. And then you heard Steve Kerr talk about the pool side of things, and if you don't know what we're referring to, there was an altercation between Jordan Poole and Draymond Green. Draymond Green apologized to his teammates, so it seems that Draymond Green was at fault in this whole thing, and he's got a reputation, so we would assume that he was at fault in this because even in training camp, the media is not allowed in. All of this is hearsay, secondhand information, and we don't know exactly what happened, but we do know there was an altercation. We do know Draymond Green was at fault. The organization has said, the, said so. The sources have said so. Draymond Green, he's heard there, is going to be gone for a couple of days. He's not going to miss any games, and as Steve Kerr says, they'll handle it internally, internally, and that is that. Now, maybe some national people will say things, maybe Some other things will be said, but as far as I'm concerned, it's good that this happened during training camp. I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know if if Draymond Green's tired because they're just coming back from Japan. Early speculation to me was that Jordan Poole is popping off a little bit, and there is a pecking order within the Warriors – and that Draymond Green, who polices everything on this team, maybe thought that maybe he was getting out of line. Jordan Poole, as good as he is, is only 23 years old, and maybe Draymond Green didn't want the rest of the young guys like Jonathan Kaminga and and Moody and Wiseman to kind of see a younger player, you know, pop off to an older player. I don't know. There's a pecking order. Maybe I, I was thinking kind of in that way, that while I wouldn't say that the veterans like Curry and Green are humble, that's not the right word to call them, But there certainly is a pecking order, and there certainly is a way that they do things around the Warriors, and it is similar to what the Spurs and the Patriots and and why you can have a winning organization for as long as they have because it's not ego-driven. Now, these guys have egos, don't get me wrong. You see it every time Steph is on the court. You see it every time Draymond's on the court. They know they're good, but they also have a humbleness, I will say, about them in a certain way that they do things, and that's why they've been successful. Successful organizations have an atmosphere which makes them successful. Just like bad organizations, it's not always about what's going on in the court or the field or the ice or whatever the playing surface is. There's a lot of things bubbling below the surface. And because the Warriors are as close as we can get right now, I think among all the professional sports franchises to a, I don't know, a Beatles or if you want to modernize it to any kind of a rock band or personality or entertainer that is – Revered around the world, and that's why they were in Japan because the warriors are the biggest thing going in sports right now. So even a little thing like this is going to get blown out of proportion. Does it mean anything in the long run? I don't think so. But I also didn't think so when Kevin Durant and Draymond Green got into it. You just never know where everything is going to bubble. We can stick a pin in this thing for for now and think, is this going to cause any rift later on down the line? I don't think so because I think Jordan Poole is going to get paid here very shortly, and it's not like He's going to say, nah, I don't want the Warriors' money. Now, will this cause a rift down the line with the organization and think, gee, we're not going to pay Draymond Green max money because of this? I don't think that's the case. Uh, I did see something that I thought was rather funny and consistently erroneous, which is somebody saying that, I think it was Scott Van Pelt, actually, who I like on ESPN, saying that Draymond Green is more valuable to the Warriors than he would be another team. You don't think if Draymond Green was on the Lakers, that they would be a championship contender. Or on the Suns where he could give him some physicality and get Chris Paul off the ball sometimes, they wouldn't be better. Or go on down the line, there's not a team that Draymond Green couldn't make better. If you looked at the teams around the league that are championship contenders, put Draymond Green on the Celtics and see what happens. <laughs> They'd have beaten the Warriors probably. I mean Draymond Green is a is an underrated player who everybody thinks is actually overrated. Because they actually don't watch the sport and they look at too many numbers and they don't actually see what's going on on the court and all the different things that he does. Sometimes I'm not a fan of Draymond Green. I'm not a fan necessarily of the Draymond Green podcast or some of the things he says or does. But there is no denying that Draymond Green, while not the most important factor in all the championships that the Warriors have won, uh, that would be Steph Curry. When Kevin Durant was around, that would be Kevin Durant but I don't think you can put him any lower than third. All due respect to Clay Thompson and others that have helped the Warriors win championships, he's probably third most important, and there's no denying that this is a dynasty. He's not the favorite guy around the NBA. Sometimes for Warriors fans, he's not the favorite guy. Sometimes for the organization, Bob Myers said, I'd still love the guy, I just didn't like what he did. And there have been times where Steve Kerr has admitted it when they screamed and yelled at each other. In the locker room, what, in Oklahoma City years ago? I mean, they've had their riffs. Does this mean that they're not going to give him a max contract at some point? No. I know that it could come back when he doesn't get a max contract, which I don't think he will. I think he'll get a reasonable contract. And if he decides to turn it down, then that's on him. And some people will look back to this thing and say, there's just another thing that Draymond Green did. I don't think that's the case. It's Draymond being Draymond. It's not a big deal. At some point, as we stick a pin in this thing, it could rear its head again. And some of the national media who doesn't really know what's going on with the Warriors could probably or possibly point to this situation and say, well, they didn't give him as much money because of that. Nah, I don't think that that's the case. I just think it's before the NBA season. There's not a lot to talk about. I am glad it did happen before the season, not during the season. Draymond Green will settle down, and this will probably be nothing. It's time for One for the Road. play you got to run the ball again like I, I mean I wish I had Marshawn up here
2: like one yard you need one yard run the ball what what run the ball hey, CT he's triggered all he has he's to triggered. do is run the football
1: like <laughs> necessary criticism I'm not you know I've said enough criticism for him but god dang run the dang ball like Learn from your mistakes. I don't. Can somebody fill me in? What is he referring to? I'm I'm confused. (laughs) Have you been in this situation before? Run the ball!
0: Oh, you think Richard Sherman was done? You, 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 you know who I feel bad for?
1: The Denver Broncos defense. Hey, Denver Broncos defense. You had four sacks, two turnovers. I understand. You played a heck of a game. You deserved to win. You didn't. I understand. I feel you. In order to get a Super Bowl this year, you gotta be historic. I tell you what you got to be historic.
0: To recap it, the Colts beat the Broncos 12-9 on Thursday night football in regulation. All the Broncos had to do, Richard Sherman was run the ball for some reason, they, they could have run they could have run it down, kicked a field goal and they would have won the football game but they didn't. Russell Wilson challenged for some reason Stefan Gilmore and Gilmore made him pay with an interception. Then they get into overtime. Matt Ryan and the Colts get a field goal. It's 12-9. Russell Wilson drives the Broncos down. It's fourth and one. Now, remember, Nathaniel Hackett on opening night in Seattle and Russ's return doesn't trust his $245 million quarterback, doesn't go for it on a fourth and five, and Brandon McManus misses a 64-yard field goal. Then he does trust his $245 million quarterback on a fourth and one when they probably could have just Richard Sherman. Run the ball. Run run, run the ball, but God dang it, run the dang ball. They don't, and Russell Wilson gets the ball knocked away by Stephon Gilmore coming from the left side. Meanwhile, K.J. Hamler, man coverage is running free, cutting on an in route from the right side. Russell doesn't see him, challenges Stephon Gilmore on the left side. He gets a PBU. The Broncos lose. The defense plays great. And Richard Sherman has PTSD back to the Broncos, or back to the Patriots Super Bowl against the Seahawks when Marshawn Lynch should have ran the ball. They shouldn't have thrown the ball. They throw the ball. Brandon Brown, or the former Seahawk, knocks Carter Lockett off the a mark. Interception by Malcolm Butler. Seahawks lose the Super Bowl. They flash to Richard Sherman on the sidelines as a Seahawk. He can't believe it. And he's having flashbacks on the set <laughs> all night taking shots at Russell. But. This one is warranted, and he loses his mind on the postgame show. Russ and the Broncos lose 12-9. And just as an aside, the losses for the 49ers continue to look worse and worse and worse. The Bears might be the worst team in football. The Broncos can't score. They're not very good. They lose 12-9. The 49ers lost to the Broncos, and Richard Sherman is having flashbacks and losing his mind. And that is one for the road. And that is Unleashed with me, John Lund, Bay Area Sports Doc for Friday, October 7th, 2022. Listen, you're doing that, thank you. Subscribe, spread the word, interact, love to hear from you, what you love, what you hate. of boys, at John Lund Radio. My day job, KNBR 680 in the Bay Area, knbr.com, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific. With the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa, I'll be on the 49ers pre-half and post-game this weekend for the Panthers game. Get some YouTubes and live streams going. Stay tuned for details on that. And there you go, episode 18, Friday, October 7th, 2022, Unleashed on the Locked On Podcast Network.